Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Imprint, a nationally renowned literary arts nonprofit, which, since 1983, supports writers and conducts readings featuring the world's leading authors for adults and children, workshops for people of all ages and backgrounds, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading, and Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the nation and around the world with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And welcome to another amazing edition of this fourth season of Inkwell. I am one of your co-hosts, Lupe Mendez. And I'm Jasmine Mendez, your other co-host. And can our guest today say hello? What up? Um, They'll be introduced shortly. (laughs) So we wanted to kind of kick off this kind of rainy, kind of we don't know what's happening. It's a very Houston kind of day. It is. That means muggy and rainy. Muggy and hot and rainy. But, uh, But no, I love it here. It's like the one place I've lived in the longest. I'm a military brat. I, too, am a wanderer, as it were. I have wandered these streets. Lupe's giving, giving me these looks like when she you says wandered I wandered, to your bed. When, you I, wandered when to she bed. says I've wandered these streets, I also know that Jasmine's really awful at geography. I'm terrible. And she's, I'm like, well, which way is the car? Are you fair? Like you going He's northbound? He's like, go north. I'm like, I don't know what Are that you means. Northbound on the what highway or southbound? About? It's just like, I don't know, but downtown's behind me. Yeah, that's real. So women, I won't say all women. I, as a woman, don't know. Anything about Northeast, South, or West. That's why Google is real. Google Maps is real. And I so, use it well. But regardless, I um, love Houston. It is it is like, it's one of the, a uh, long time ago when we used to do the Word Around Town poetry tour, I think the unique thing that I always fell in love with with the city was that uh, Paul Flores, when he came to visit, I think it was like the second year, third year of the tour, um, Paul had said that Houston was one of the most unique cities in that at the time. It was one of the only spots that had an open mic space. Every single night of the week. Every single night of the week, Saturday to Sunday. And we were like, oh, like we hadn't, we'd been working so hard and doing these things and visiting all these spaces that nobody gave it a thought that like it wasn't like this someplace else. Well, and I love it because even though, you know, I think, I think the, the only bad thing about Houston. (laughs) Is that it's in Texas. Um, and we all have feelings. Well, many of us have feelings about Texas. Um, but I've, you know, said, and I think a lot of us have, that it's sort of like a, a blue city in a red state. And it's like so diverse. And it's just very different from a lot of the rest of the state. And I think that's part of why I like it. And I know like U of H is like one of the most diverse universities in the country. And Houston is like one of the most diverse cities in the nation. And I really like that. We've also had conversations too about like, like the idea of wandering in the way you traverse the city, but also that you Yeah, can't. well, it's not by foot. Like it's <laughs> by bike sure. or a scooter or a I mean, car. it's by a car. It's but then also by like because the city is so massively large, like you can see downtown and it's still 45 minutes away. You could drive over like an hour and 15 minutes and still be technically in the city of Houston. Like from North Houston to South Houston takes an hour at least. It's also one of the spots, and I think people still joke. I don't know if people still joke about it, but I think they do. If you say, hey, we're going to meet up to go do X, Y, and Z, and somebody's like, is that inside the loop or outside? Yeah. 
It's gotten a little bit better, but it's true. It's a very big thing. Like, is it inside the loop or outside the loop? And I'm like, and now, and now I'm like, is it inside the Beltway or outside the Beltway? Like, well, now it's like Grand Parkway and then the yeah. Beltway, and then no, just anyway. So those of you listening to this podcast that are not from the Houston area, uh, just do maps. Yeah, it's a very large city. That. It's very spread out. But because of that, and having been like read through portions of Reyes's book, and then the that conversation. So our guest today. <laughs> Is Reyes Ramirez. Yo, what up? <laughs> but so in that, and it's probably going to be one of the questions that we get to ask Reyes, um, is because we always like sci-fi and like horror and all these things that are like meshed together. I keep thinking of like what the zombie apocalypse would look like in the city of Houston. You went so far left field with suddenly randomly bringing up zombie apocalypse. It is a part of Reyes's book, which is why we're talking about it. First but, of all, I mean, I just feel we like still we were have talking to reiterate about reiterate our plan. <laughs> Where would we end up in the city? Well, I would just die. I mean, we're fully aware that I am not a fighter <laughs> when it comes to the zombie we're apocalypse. We're leaving to go somewhere. Anyways, we'll talk more about that with Reyes, but I'm going to do his intro. And then, Reyes, would you be so kind as to read something from the collection for us? Sure thing. Um, all right, his bio. <clears throat> Reyes Ramirez, he, him, is a Houstonian writer, educator, curator, and organizer of Mexican and Salvadoran descent. He authored the short story collection, The Book of Wanderers, 2022, from the University of Arizona Press's Camino del Sol series, and the poetry collection, El Rey of Gold Teeth, 2023, from Hub City Press. His latest curatorial project, The Houston Artist Speaks Through Grids, explores the use of grids in contemporary Houston art, literature, history, and politics. Reyes has been honored as a 2020 Cantamundo Fellow, a 2021 Interchange Artist Grant Fellow, a 2022 Crosstown Arts Writer in Residence, and now the 2023 Dobie Paisano Fellow and awarded grants from the Houston Arts Alliance, Poets and Writers, and the Warhol Foundation's Idea Fund. Reyes won the 2019 Yes Contemporary Art Writers Grant, the 2017 Blue Mesa Review Nonfiction Contest, the 2014 River Sedge Poetry Prize, and has poems, stories, essays, and reviews in Indiana Review, Speculative Fiction for Dreamers, a Latinx anthology, in for Realistic Review, Cosmonauts Avenue, December Magazine, Arte Informado, Texas Review, Houston Noir, Gulf Coast Journal, The Acentos Review, Cimarron Review, and elsewhere. Ladies and gentlemen, Reyes Ramirez. Welcome. Yay. Hello. Hello. Honored to be here. Uh, I've always look, looked forward to this day of being a guest. And yeah, it's always astounding to hear that you always read all the the titles <laughs> and stuff like that. So so I appreciate it. I know it, I know it takes work. So thank you. So I'm going to read a portion of a short story from the Book of Wanderers, uh, titled Lilia. And um, yeah, here we go. I start as the sun finishes setting. What's left of its purple residue still lingering over the Houston skyline. I clean the interior of my car by vacuuming the seats and picking up anything left from passengers. Sometimes I'll find a long strand of hair that I hold up to a light. I always examine them closely, and they all glow with the same yellow, so I'm never sure how long it's been since Lilia. I then let the strand of hair go to be devoured by the damp ether until it returns to my car. I accept this as simply another process of the universe so that the earth remains on its axis. I then log into the vehicle for higher service on my phone and wait for someone to request a ride. 
Their name and destination will show up, and I hope for the ones that require me to go around downtown. I like driving near the skyscrapers on 45, their yellow lights fading in and out across my skin and dashboard as I pass them. It reminds me of a time when I was a citizen of the world. And there they are, Madison, female, 25 to 27 years old, white, short blonde hair, from downtown to Gulf Crest. Odd. I put the keys in the ignition, turn my wrist until the car takes its first deep breath of the night, and drive. From there, I merge on the feeder to get onto the freeway, the connecting ramp closing in one, two, three. There it is. Every ramp has a shift in the consistency of the asphalt when the tar road meets the concrete freeway. When a tire drives over this line, there's a muffled clicking sound you can feel and hear that reverberates into the hollow space of the overpass, each time slightly different, as it varies on how many homeless lie asleep, or how bad traffic is, or how sweltering thick the air rests, carrying sound with the consistency of molasses. Though Houston shifts and changes constantly, what doesn't change is that everything is where it has always been. The poor here, the rich there, black and brown people Masaya, the white ones over yonder. Anything not belonging to those categories merely attempts to hide this paradigm. The same could be said of any city. The same could be said of America. The same could be said of the world. So when Madison wants me to pick her up from somewhere downtown and probably take her home, I already know a few things about her. She has energy to burn, and she's afraid of loneliness. A deadly combination. I should know. The heavy lights of the city splash on my skin, and it feels right. I pull up to a bougie-ass restaurant where only appetizers and cocktails are served. There are four people outside, two of them holding up someone in a short blue dress. Female, 23 to 25 years old. Long black hair. Latina. It all makes sense now. Another young woman, white, approaches my car. Are you Madison, I ask. Yeah, but the ride is for my friend here, she says as the others dump that woman in my back seat. She's had a bit too much to drink. Usually I'd object, but the fare is too good to pass up. Out of 23 rides needed in the area, this one is mine. What's her name? Thanks so much, Madison says as she drunk stomps back into the bar's facade. Hey, you all right back there? I ask. No answer. That's fine. I turn on the radio because too much silence allows for the thoughts to go where they shouldn't. I always try different stations every night so as to surprise my mind. This time, it's a classic rock station with a right-wing DJ at the helm. Those Democrats are ruining this country. I pray to God every day to make our country right again. Strong again. Dang shame. Anyways, the count is now six years, 150 days, 12 hours, 26 minutes since that village in Kenya started missing its idiot. Now, here's the Eagles with Take It Easy. Hey, can you change this shit? The young woman asks. I don't want to listen to this racist asshole or the fucking Eagles. Fair enough. I changed the station. Aquí estamos en Club Bandidos, donde los mujeres entran gratis y los hombres pagan todo. Veni Ponte Pedo, hyper, sexyísimo con DJ Cabeza de Chocha. The broadcast sounds like it's on location. The cumbia tribal music scratchy with the heavy bass and drunken dancers wooing as the DJ yells away from the mic, dale, y dale, así, así. Where am I, by the way, the girl in the backseat moans. You're in a vehicle for hire, taking you home. No, I'm with my friends. She starts to feel out her surroundings, the leather warping with her every move. Madison asks me to take you home. Sit still and we'll be there in no time. Take me back to Madison. It's her birthday and she's my BFF. It's probably better if you go home. She panics, reaching over and trying to force the car door open, not realizing the door is locked, then hitting the window with her palm. Look, Madison ordered a ride to take you home. It didn't seem like they wanted you there, all right? Sometimes we have to save people from themselves. It happens. She lies back down. I drive for a while. It's all going pretty smoothly until we get into her subdivision. And shit, there it fucking is. A train. 
The arms of its crossing signal lower, and the bell screams. Fuck. Hey, the train's coming. Know any way around, I ask the young woman. Nope, we have to wait it out. Fucking Houston, huh? Fucking Houston. Yeah. Wait a minute, though. I love, I love the mujeres de tan gratis. Hombres pagan todo. It's absolutely every club you have ever gone to, ever. Well, and the train thing is so spot on because we live right by train tracks and it's always like, ah, <laughs> like you just can't get around can't it. You're just going to have to meditate for you a second. Yeah, right. You're like, <laughs> like, and, like, uh, like, all right, guess I'm going to be late for work today. That's like half the city. Like if they read that story, they're like, truth. Yeah. Sell me this book. Sell me this book. So many truths there. Congratulations on this massively important collection. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. And it was uh, the winner of a contest, correct? Or was no, chosen? No, it was uh, chosen by the... So it's with uh, University of Arizona Press's Camilla del Sol series, okay. which is a historically Latinx imprint. Nice. And uh, the editor is Yari Roberto Gonzalez. And Love so, him. He's my former mentor. We have, we've had him on the show before. That was great. And he did the intro for your Houston book launch, right? He he did the intro for the for the book. He has a forward in the book. Yes. And then he, and, uh, yeah, uh, did he a little bit. Ran the Q&A. For, Q&A. Ran the Q&A. I wasn't there. I'm sorry. No, it's so fine. I know he was there. <laughs> so, no, that's good. so can you talk a little bit about sort of the genesis of this short story collection? Because it's always fascinating to me how short story collections get made. Short story is not sort of my forte uh, genre. And you're actually, I think, our first short story writer on the show. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I much <laughs> am intimidated by, yeah. A, I'm, I'm never, I don't, I won't say never, but I don't think I'll ever do a novel. But short story has always intrigued me. And so when this collection came out, it was like, shut up. Andreas wrote it. What? And I think I didn't even know you were like a short story writer until, <laughs> like, because we know, we've known you through the poetry scene and open mics and stuff like that. Although I think... Maybe I did know you were a short story writer or a prose writer. I feel like you were working on a novel at some point. Maybe I'm lying to myself. No, maybe maybe <laughs> it all blurs together. Well, anyway, <laughs> I have been a big fan of Reyes' brain and like how he holds himself in the writing community. Yeah. And then like your reviews are like splendid things to read. I'm always Thank like, you. I'm writing a review. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing? Oh, God, <laughs> help me. But so, yeah, like, yeah. What, what, what was the question again? Yeah. Well, just how the, how the short story collection came about. I'm always interested in, like in, in thinking about, right. Cause sometimes they're intertwined, right. Some short story collections sort of are create or sort of live in all one universe or characters that, you know, interact with each other in different ways, but each story is sort of self-contained, but they all kind of work together. And so I'm just curious, like, how did you come up with, with the structure, the form, the, the way in which, you know, the stories are laid out in the book, et cetera. Was it like, all at once, spontaneous. Did you know you were writing a short story collection? Like, I don't know. Oh, man. Yeah, all, the, yeah. all the things. <laughs> I was afraid of this question. No, but, no thank you, thank you. Uh, again, yeah, thank you so much. But uh, yeah, the so the thing that I could say is, so I started writing short stories maybe around like uh, 2010 when I was uh, doing my undergrad at University of Houston. And then from there, I just played around with different aspects. And then when I got to grad school doing my MFA, I got in for fiction. Uh, actually, I applied in both poetry and fiction. And so I think it was, if I got accepted into poetry, the, probably the collection would have came out for, you know, that collection yeah. came out first. Or if the, but uh, from there, I worked on that. And my thesis ultimately ended up being like a novella and some short stories. And the first short story in this collection, it's nine pages. It was originally a 90-page novella wow. in the thesis Dang. collection. And, uh, you know, I cut all that. I cut so much, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> uh, and some of the short stories survived from the thesis. And as I wrote new ones, I started kind of getting into, like, 
a lot of the the stuff that I learned in my MFA was like not genre. Like you can't, you know, the, it, I wouldn't say that I was I was restricted or told not to, but it was more like it wasn't supported either. Mm-hmm. Like oh, we, like you know, sci-fi, speculative fiction, yeah. uh, magical realism, whatever you want, like do it. You know, the 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 bones of the short story are, are relatively new, I think, in like human consciousness. And so, like for me, it was always an interesting avenue to play with a story of a beginning and an ending, but in like a short time frame or a short page frame that I think allows a little bit more from poetry. And we can get into this later, but anyways, the, I think what it astounded me by the short stories was that like, it got me more into like seeing maybe like a prolonged poetry in moments mm. where it's like, uh, I don't know, like if you're at a bus stop and you see someone crying in their bus seat, you're seeing a truth happening, but it's not the whole truth. Mm. And so I think a short story can detail that person's one day Mm -hmm. and like why they're crying. And so like, maybe that's the climax, maybe that's the beginning, maybe it's the middle. And so like, in terms of the stories in in the book of Wanderers, I then got into like, oh, I'm writing like more that's based on our reality, more speculative fiction stuff. Well, Houston has always kind of allowed for those things to happen. You know, one moment you'd be going to one part of town and it's stuck in the 80s, but then you go to <laughs> another true. part. Correct. Or another Correct. part that's like, well, I wouldn't see another part, like NASA or like the future. Yeah. There's, and there's always a lot like of like weird, Stepford like, Wives, like suburbs too, that it's very like surreal. Like this is almost too perfect, too cookie cutter. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know? yeah. And I think kind of, I wanted to write a, or collect a stories that kind of gave that journey of Houston. You start out more based on reality and as you live through it, it, it expands it. Or Space like, city, I mean, you yeah. know. <laughs> well, yeah, the the moments, I think surreal and I I don't know why, but I jump times where disasters occur and mm-hmm. then like the things that we live through in the moment that you Yeah. I vividly remember during Allison when mm-hmm. I was driving the wrong way down 59 to get back to my apartment. Oh, yeah. And an 18-wheeler <laughs> was on the same side of the road that I was and they were honking at another 18 wheeler coming on the correct side. And I was like, nobody's ever going to believe that that was happening. During <laughs> well, even in, after it was like, I think it was Ike after Ike, we were driving to Galveston and there was just like a giant boat in the middle of 45. Like yeah. I was like, what am I looking at right now? It's like all those things. It's yeah. Wild. Like you're absolutely right with all yeah. of that. Yeah. And, and funny enough, after sometimes some storms, I think after Harvey, uh, Buffalo Bayou receded so much that they actually refound a turtle that they thought had been extinct from the like the region, what? like a type of alligator turtle that I hadn't heard about that, that apparently burrows itself deep into bayous, and so when they, all the water went away. They found they found it. yeah because they, they don't like people and so they're <laughs> like y'all <laughs> crazy yeah. yeah I mean that, I mean that kind of answers one of my questions too of just like why did you feel it was so important to set so many of these stories in Houston. And then kind of thinking about those that take us to Mars, for example, you know, what importance place has for you in a, in a short story and in a narrative and like what role does setting in place, you know, have in sort of the, the life or the shape of, of the narrative? Yeah. Like in the beginning stories, as I say, they kind of are more based on our reality. And so you might see more like Houston markers, whether it be like uh, the bikes painted white or like the crosses on the side of the road, uh, you know, when someone died, I guess, in a certain part of traffic. But as we get more, as I said, removed from reality, there's different markers that I think strip away aspects that we know to be Houston, but I think are, to me, are fundamentally Houston, like going to Mars, like again, Space City, Mm -hmm. we are so attached to the cosmos in a way. But then like the zombie apocalypse, well, we're always facing apocalypses in Houston. It's like whether it be a winter storm or (laughs) a hurricane or a chemical plant explosion. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of like, I think those things are also fundamentally Houston, like the idea of... uh, 
because in my experience, Houstonians, as opposed to like the mythology of like New York or the mythology of LA, uh, Houston doesn't really have one no, in the national consciousness. Yeah. And I think there's something to be explored there. In terms of, so now the logistics, I guess, like the, the nuts and bolts of the book, as you were writing and thinking all of these, when did the book start coming into a focused vision? Like, were you writing random stories and like putting them away? Or was this like, I would like to write a book and I'm going to do it this way and it's going to be these things? About or <laughs> was yeah. like, how did, not that the thread had subconscious, like did the thread subconsciously exist or was this like, I'm going to map this out starting here and moving forward. Like how did you a plotter or a pantser is what we're asking. Uh, a, a what? <laughs> a plotter or a pantser. What's, See to your pants. A, oh, or you plot oh, like man. you, I'm, this is what I'm threading and this is the way it's going. Or a pantser is like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And then maybe I'll see how it all fits together. <laughs> I'm going to go with the plotter. Maybe uh-huh. some of the stories uh, began in my MFA uh, that was like 2012. And then like the oldest story at this point is now like 10 years old. Mm. The newest probably being like five or so. And so 2015 is when I graduated. That's then where I like kind of left it behind because I'm like oh, this novella. I was really focused on a novella, the wrestling one. And I was just, I'm going to write that. I'm going to write that. And then as time happened, I was like, nah, it's not going to happen anytime soon. So I started writing more short stories and then uh, I was just trying to, I was, in reflecting on my MFA, I think I was like, oh, I think I was trying too hard. I was plotting too much mm. for it to be a thing because uh, it used to be called something else. And then, and I don't want people to read it. You can find it, but don't <laughs> okay. read it because uh, it's bad. <laughs> to, post 2015 and to, to, to about 2018, I was just working a lot, writing different stories, different things. And then like I started noticing, I guess, a thread of, yeah, they're all set in Houston, they're all based on kind of an aspect of identity in terms of maybe things not commonly thought about. For example, I noticed that anime, growing up with anime, was just like a really big influence on me. So why don't I just write some stories? Because I think like that's another aspect of American identity or not even American, like even in Latin America, Dragon Ball Z and anime in general is just huge. And I don't think we usually like in the mainstream or the national consciousness talk about our relations to anime or Asian influences in terms of our media Neon Genesis Evangelion, one of my favorites. I'll write a short story where we're in a mech suit. There's, you know, like Sailor Moon or Cardcaptor Sakura or, or Yu Yu Hakusho, or it's like these spirit yeah, detectives. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, we got those. We got spirit detectives. We got right. curanderas. Yeah, Let yeah, me write a short story that's like true, that. Yeah. That's when it started being fun. And then I was just like, oh, like maybe these fit in some way with the other stories. And so after a point, I think I finished this uh, in 2018. And then up to that point, I think the latter half, like maybe 2016 to 2018, I was like writing stories and editing them to be part of a collection. Gotcha. Well, I think it is so important too, because that was, that was one of my questions. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the ways in which, you know, I, I think that this book has a little bit of something for, for everyone, right? You're, we've got magic realism, we've got some sci-fi, we've got apocalyptic things happening, right? Wrestler so stories. Sort of, yeah, wrestling. He was talking about the anime. So there's like <laughs> the blending and the mixing. And I'm just curious, you know, and I'll just read a quote from, from an interview that, that you had, I think it was U of A Press, where you said, I hope that the playfulness in the Book of Wanderers with language, narrative, and form inspires someone to write their own ridiculous truths, to cast aside white ideations of proper stories and speaking to create a work of their own, an unrestricted extension of their hopes and fears. And so... I don't necessarily have a question. I think it's just so important to see like Latinos in these various landscapes and worlds and genres and just thinking about sort of 
how intentional, obviously it was intentional, but like how intentional was that for you? Or was it just based off of your own sort of literary influences, I guess? Both. I guess, for example, in terms of form, there's some short stories that are like traditional, the beginning, middle and end, the climax, the denouement, all that stuff. And then there are some stories that completely do away with that. And I think those just been kind of part of my influences, uh, like Ariel Garcia Marquez or Toni Morrison or Salman Rushdie, the way they play with forms and the storytelling process. And then I was like, kind of growing up, I had, I was reflecting on like, oh, how many kind of narratives that I have to like navigate, you know, be Mexican, Salvadoran, American and uh, Houston. And then all these other aspects, whether it be the Western or the Southwestern or the Deep South. And I was just navigating all these different things. I was like, well, yeah, why don't I just do that as well? Mm -hmm. Like what the one on Mars, for example, is written as a legal document. And that's just Mm because growing up, I had to, you know, I spoke English. My mom didn't. So I had to translate these legal documents. And so like already I was like 10 and I was just like, oh, my God, like, uh, how do I? (laughs) How do you become a legal expert? Correct. But, you know, I I feel like, yeah, the, the writing should kind of reflect take those things and have fun with those things. Like fictions are written into laws all the time. So I'm like, oh, why don't I just write my own fiction with my own made up law, you know? Correct. What stories do you remember growing up with that found their way, that, that became a part of you and that kind of sort of lead and bleed into the collection currently? Yeah, some influences as well. Like, yeah, other than the ones that I said, like Tomas Rivera is a huge influence on me. Funny enough, like a Walter Dean Myers, just so many people, including you two. I mean, uh, but in terms of like earlier stories in my life, like, yeah, there's some things that are like true. For example, there's one story called Sitlali uh, Saracosa uh, Curandera, and there's like a cursed egg, and that actually happened. Ooh. Oh. I pulled up to my mom's house, and there was an egg on the driveway, and I was like, what the? what the fuck is this? And then I, I picked it up and I just threw it in a storm drain. And then my, and then I told my mom, and mom's like, well, you didn't touch it, did you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> what? And I was just like, oh, there's cursed eggs in the neighborhood. No, no, what do we do? And then like, uh, it, and then later, <laughs> I actually ended up getting, uh, I was driving back home at night on, the, on 45 and a huge truck smashed into me and just drove off. What? Yeah. What? And it was, it was like the highway was empty. And so this huge truck smashed into my, the side of my car and then like drove off. And I was, <laughs> it was so bad that I had to pull off the freeway. And, um, uh, and some people actually followed me and were like, are you okay? And I was like, uh, I'm fine, I guess. <laughs> it, um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your entire question. That's, but, that's it. That's, I mean, unfortunate that those things happen, <laughs> but it's also like the real, but that's like all the stuff that like, I also think in terms of the storytelling that is around our families, some of these things are stories that have been passed down a couple of generations, but it's also the supernatural stuff that we don't yeah. have the language or the accept, like in the broader scope of like, you know, what are the acceptable stories that are passed down from family? I feel like a Latina background, like there's a lot of other extra things that are well, like, tied to culture and earth. Yeah. And I think that a lot of it too, in some ways, I had this conversation with someone else. I can't remember what it was, but that a lot of sort of like the quote unquote supernatural or even maybe like things that we would like 
put in a box and say, this is sci-fi, this is supernatural, this is magical realism, this is X, Y, Z, whatever, just is for us. You know, it's not something that we necessarily categorize all the time. We're really like, we know it, it. we We lived it, it, we see it, and we just accept it for for what, you know, cursed eggs. Like you didn't necessarily question, you didn't say like, that's, there's no way that could happen. You're like, what? There's cursed (laughs) eggs? Like, okay. Yeah. Um, And I think, but that, I think again, like would I have touched that egg if that, if I'd been told, you know, these things. And And I think the collection goes into that as well is like what do you take and what do you leave behind and mm. for whatever reason my mom chose to leave that behind like or maybe she just didn't run into that she just know you know you don't yeah. know yeah. there are things you know you just don't mention all the time but it's kind of like yeah I think part of me was like you knew like why didn't why would I why didn't I know this growing up like why didn't you tell me there were just cursed <laughs> eggs you could show up and ruin your life yeah. uh, but I think there's also like a complexity that I think that of Latina, Latino, Latinx, Latine identity that I think is just not in the in the national consciousness or maybe in certain ways. Like I think I've come across, for example, I was like, you know what? I think I'm a water Latino. My Mexican uh, part of my family, they're uh, kind of around Acapulco mm. and uh, Salvadoran and we were, but we're, you know, sea people. And it's right. kind of like the versus that versus like desert. Latinos, correct, mm-hmm. or, or like urban Latinos, and well, it's we have that like conversation doing... all the time too. Because his calm go-to place is the mountains, and then mine is like the beach. And it's like, well, yeah, because like my family's Caribbean, water, ocean, and his family's like from a rancho in Guadalajara or Mexico. So it's like, like cerros. But even then, too, like I think in terms of where we find ourselves at the most calm, and I realize that I will sit on a jetty facing the water, but I'm on granite rock. It's still like Monte. Land, it's like, still land. Yeah. It's still looking out into the, the the connectivity that one finds based on like you know the roots of where where one is and where one what where once family was and like all of those. And I think there's just kind of a thing of like you know a memory that we don't know you know mm-hmm. and yes. that, that you know that's just part of the body now. Correct. Like, yeah, to yeah. the bones. Like right? whatever like traumas your past family or <laughs> past generations have gone to, they're telling you in a way like through whether it be through genetics or science or however you want to explain it, yeah. telling you like hey don't do that <laughs> or like yeah, right, yeah. Right. or do this I mean, or yeah. do this other yeah. thing. Well, it was it was interesting to me too. Like when I found out a little bit more about like that you know background in history actually, um, and sort of the, like the and how they lived and. That like the hammock, like la, la hamaca comes from that indigenous population, at least on the island, right? And that that like that's where they would sleep and a lot of their rituals also centered around the hammock. And I was like, no wonder I like I love lying and sleeping in hammocks, right? And like you said, it's just something in the body and there's something like within us that I think is just carried on and that is a part of us. So and that kind of goes to one of the questions too, the, the the title of the book is the book of wanderers. And so just thinking about and asking you, you know, like what does wandering mean to you as a person, as a writer, as a creative, like how does that play out in like your own life? So I think for me, so one, it's kind of inspired by Tomas Rivera's The Searchers. Mm, uh, okay. So one, it's like, yeah, the, the searchers are searching for something, but I think I wanted to take that in another direction and be like, no, like, yeah, more like wanderers. And to me, wanderers are, I guess to me are like people who know what they want. It's just, they're not going to find it. Oh. And so it's kind of like, if you're just wandering, I guess the opposite of wandering is like, you know, like you, you already are where you're at or you're at where you want to be. And I think that opens itself by to, to an idea of like utopian, like what, it, if I'm not wandering, then I should be where I belong. And if there's nowhere I belong, then I'm just going to have to wander. And I think in kind of, uh, yeah, with, uh, my mom, an immigrant from Mexico, my dad, a refugee from El Salvador, and they always had an attachment to their like to their home country. Right. That, but they were here, and it's kind of like 
but this is my home. So, you know, like I got to deal with all this shit here. Or like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, they'll be like, you know, they'll be like, don't, don't cause any problems. I'm like, but this is my home. I can do that. Like, you know, and, and I think it got me into like privilege of like, oh, because I was born geographically different than they were. Mm-hmm. I have more rights in this context mm-hmm. or I have more of an ability to be myself. And I think kind of like, that's just something to reconcile of like, um, you're somewhere, but you don't feel like you belong there, oh, but, yeah. Yeah. but you still, you're still building a home and a family. And so like, where does the search end or, or like what, what does it mean to finally be where you belong? And I think for con- following generations, they kind of have to reconcile that question for themselves too. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, it's interesting too the take that you have on, on this idea of wandering, which I'm not going to say, I don't think it's necessarily a negative connotation, but it's definitely a slightly different than some other versions of like, it's good to wander and be a wanderer and it opens you up and like you get to, there's like this, a sense of freedom if you're a wanderer, right? That you should wander because it allows you to like explore more or like keep an open mind, right? Um, or meditate in this wandering, if you will. But it's interesting to maybe see different perspectives on that. Yeah, I think... I think also there's an idea of like wandering, like whether it's forced or mm-hmm. you choose it. Mm-hmm. And so some of the characters choose in the book of wander, they choose to wander and some characters do not, do not choose to wander. It's like, no, my home become untenable for me. So I got to go somewhere else. And mm. this just happened to work out. I love that the, the book itself does, does that work exactly? Like it, it, it allows us to see, I guess like the guts of what the image and the idea of wandering does like correct. Just like you stated, um, some are choosing, some fall into, some don't have a choice within, like it, it's the thing that works out and how it functions, which leads me, I guess, to the, the next question in living in the writing of this work, were you dabbling mostly just in like the, the short story writing or were you popping into poetry? Because you've gone from this amazing work to then like you have a book out with Hub City for a poetry collection. And so like, were you doing both at the same time or like, was your brain shifting and I'm going to write a short story and I'm going to do a poem and I don't know what the hell I'm writing and there's just going to be this thing or how did that function? Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll say like, for example, in the book, book of Wanderers, there's actually some poems I just threw in there mm-hmm. that like I was like, I wrote and I'm like, oh, this is not a good poem. Like, <laughs> they, but I don't want to throw it away. So yeah. let me, let me repurpose this. And nice. so I'm not going to reveal which ones, but yeah. I'm just going to say there are some parts or monologues. I'm like, that used to be just poems. Yeah. Oh, no, I was actually going to ask that, like what part of your poetic sensibilities like found their way into your short stories? Yeah. Um, and so like for me, I don't know if I had a rhyme or reason back then, but now I think as, as you know, more getting into the practice and uh, honing what skills that I have, I was more like, I usually think of a thought or a project and I'm like, oh, what is that going to fit best in and whether I can live up to that if I have the ability to live up to the expectation of what I have for the project. And so for me right now, I like juggle different projects. And during this time I wrote poetry, I wrote fiction. Uh, I finished the book of wanderers like 2018 and then I finished El Rey of Gold Teeth or like 2019, 2020, something like that. But yeah, I was always navigating between all of them. And during this time, I'm writing like essays and reviews, like yeah. you said. Um, and it, working like a full-time job. Working a full-time and, job. Like, full-time dude, job. Yeah. That's why we things. all like have great conversations because it's like always like day job and writing. <laughs> yeah. And I think like um, navigating all those different languages, I think just trained me like I'll give you an example of like what, what I can't do. Like for example, like beer, I want to write about beer, 
but I'm like, I don't know how. And I've tried like a review, but I'm like, oh no, that that doesn't sound natural to me. What do you mean write about beer? Like Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like okay. critique or talk of or include or like, or like the language of I guess I so. agree with that. I can't do that either. Yeah, like, like like how we'd write a review of like a play or like okay. a, a novel or something okay. like that. But sure. to know it, you have to understand its components, I guess, and sure. like be able to. But that's the thing. It's like, do I have to though? Like, right. is am I gatekeeping myself from doing this? Oh yeah, good um, questions. Yeah. So for example, that so now I'm like, oh, what about prose poems? Like pro, prose mm. poems about the beer, or like uh, maybe I should write about maybe try it this way. And I'm like, it, none of it right, feels right. Yeah. And so maybe that's just something I don't have right now in my repertoire. So that's something that's I'll fair. read more about. Yeah. But everything else, like for example, like I'm trying to work on a novel about like a teenager in a fighting game tournament. Cause I used to play chess, go to chess tournaments and Yu-Gi-Oh tur- tournaments. I love and, it. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, why don't I enable that nerd part of me? Uh, see where that goes. But I'm like, is it a YA novel? No, we'll I'm intrigued. See. I think it should be. But I'm that's the thing. <laughs> I grew doesn't up, have to be. Like, no, it I doesn't think, have to be. But but that's the thing. It's like I grew up reading YA and reading like not YA, and I'm uh-huh. like, I never saw the difference. I was uh-huh. like, like Walter Dean Myers writes about messed up stuff all the time in his YA, and I'm like, oh, like should I be reading this? Like <laughs> that, yeah. in middle school, I was like, oh yeah. my god, this kid's in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. kids in jail. <laughs> I'm thinking, I guess, like, yeah, like now is the YA. Is why useful to me in terms of my mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. Um, and you know I see what it does for other people. Why not for me? And I guess what I'm getting at is that like it, it usually just depends on the project. I did a curatorial project. That, I don't know if that could survive in my language as like a book or like a poem or like anything else. It has to be a curatorial project. Or, right. Right. Um, I've never understood kind of people who dabble only in one thing because I'm like, there's the whole expanse of language. How are you just limiting it to like the one 100%, thing or the other? Yeah, 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 100%. yeah. That makes sense. I get that. Well, and you talked a little bit too and in that quote that I mentioned, like that playfulness and the fun in writing. And I think that sometimes as writers, right, there's some genres that are just like take a lot more out of us like emotionally. I mean, it's all very draining personally, but there's things that are more like we're tied to like emotionally difficult that that are slower in our process and some things that are like, no, this is like, I love this. You know, this is fun. It's not necessarily that it's easy, but it just, it feels better maybe when, when we're in the process of it. And I don't know if maybe you feel that same way about short story or prose versus poetry or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I guess I always kind of felt that way with language in general. Like there are just some things like my main language is English. That's just what I talk mostly in and I write mostly in, but there, I also like speak Spanish and then like with my mom, I only speak Spanish with certain people. I only speak Spanish, but there's always going to be that road bump of like, Oh, how do you say colander in Spanish? <laughs> yeah. and it's like, Oh, this is uh, words you don't use every day. That's like <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, Oh, la, la. La cosa con los pozos, man. Like, you know, like you just. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> yeah, and so, like, for me, I think kind of uh, structures and form work the same way, where it's like, oh, like if I write this poem, like, oh, and, I, and I'm just trying to tell a story, it's like, oh, well, maybe consider a short story. Like, you know, it's kind of like a different tool in your tool bag. It's these forms should be tools rather than limitations or like, in a short story, you can just throw in a soliloquy. Why not? You know, or like. Correct, um, correct. In a novel, there's there's a novel, what there's some ridiculous things they put in novels. I'll say like for example, like Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad. There's just a PowerPoint that's a short that's part of the novel. Oh yeah. Uh, or like I've started that book like three different times and I've never gotten through it. But fair enough. Fair <laughs> I enough. Just haven't. I don't know. Um, and or rather like let's say like Toni Morrison's Jazz. 
when you read it, you're like, what is going on? But then when you hear her explain, she's like, oh, the, the narrator is the novel itself. Mm. And you're like, what does that mean? And, then, <laughs> yeah, and, and like, what did that enable for you? And I think for me, yeah, like trying different things, messing with different things. Like if something just does not work out as a poem, I try it as a short story or something yeah. from the very beginning. I'm, it might be just an essay. I'm like, oh, I want to write this review of these types of movies. Like that's just an essay. That's, I really can't see that as anything else. But in The, li- the Many Lives and Times of Aranza de la Cruz and uh, The Book of Wanderers, I did throw in just summaries of movies I made up and like that, that just kind of, and it's just kind of, you can, there are no rules. You can there do no whatever rules. I know. I always feel like writers think that there's like, you have to follow these so structures like, and forms and rules of genre. And it's like, do what you I, want. <laughs> when I read that piece, I also thought of, I don't know why, but like Alan Moore, right? Or is it? No, it's Alan Moore. When he, it is Alan Moore. The Black Sail, like. Yeah, uh, yeah. The voyage, like that whole other comic. Yeah, there's that's, a comic within the comic that's happening within the comic. Like I, I immediately thought of that. I was like, no one says you can't do that yeah. in a long form maxi series like thing. And was like, that's smart. Like it's very smart in terms of how we engage in language and plot and writing and all of those things. So kudos to you, no, sir. Kudos to y'all. I mean, I know y'all dabble and do and excel in different forms. Uh, I heard y'all have done some plays, I think, or like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ish, something like that. <laughs> it's funny too. Cause I think one of the reasons that I, I think like our conversations are always so intertwined in great conversation is also we're all constantly either curating or organizing or writing or on the page or creating events or like doing things within space that are also like speaking to not just the folks that are reading or watching performance, but well, we think about, we look at, we look at storytelling in all its forms, right? It's not just like what's on the page. It's also like what gets expressed orally in the body, musically, all these different ways in which stories are told. Right. Like somebody's house and a museum, like curatorial, like all of these things. And so I think another thing that you're kind of throwing in there is like, yeah, like action as a form, curatorial action, like choosing a lineup is in itself like an art form or like teaching is its own kind of like art form. And I think y'all have always presented really interesting models of like, whether it be like, a, you know, organizing a festival in and of itself is like kind of a craft. It's a form right. that you have to do and you have to know how to do and then you get better at. And yeah, it's always just ridiculous to see just how much inspiration there is in Houston. And yeah, it's always like, it's like, oh, they did this. All right, let me see what I can do. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not, not, not in a competitive, but more like, what do I what do with I that? Add? Yeah, yeah, what can I Yeah, I know. You're... Marvelously, you're doing that so, so well. So you were recently awarded a fellowship. I'm wondering, what are you most looking forward to with that? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I uh, recently announced as the, uh, that I'm the next uh, W. Paisano Fellow at University of Texas. Uh, so I get a place to stay in kind of like in a secluded area in Austin or right outside Austin, somewhere around there. And I get four months to where they pay me and I just get to work on whatever. So I have my book of short stories is out there. Book of poetry is coming out. Uh, and so right now I'm just trying to decide what's like, what's the plan from now here on out. And like me, I want to work on a book of essays, but the more research and the more writing I do, I'm like, am I prepared for this? Because mm. uh, I think essays uh, kind of ask more of yourself. Because again, like I said before, like the poetry, it's like, oh, it's a speaker or like in fiction. It's like, no, that's the that's a narrator, whoever I'm telling you it is. In I think essays for me, you, you got to have some 
some blood in there, you know, or skin of the game. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, or else, you know, why are you doing it? Uh, why, why don't you just write fiction then if you're so scared of it? And so I'm just like, no, this, ha- this has to be essays. And so I think I have to do kind of like a certain amount of like personal work before I can maybe trust myself, but we'll see maybe during these four months I can sit down and be like, okay, like maybe this is what I need to do next. Cause I have like a book of essays that I definitely want to put out next. I have another book of poetry and another and a novel that I'm maybe messing around with. Uh, and so I think during those four months, I'm going to get to work on a little bit of everything. And then by the end of it, I'll be like, no, this is, this is the plan. That's this is amazing. what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be done at this time. Love it. So we also have, we've talked a little, a little bit about it, uh, a poetry collection coming out this spring, correct? Uh, next October, October, ne- oh, 2023. Next October. Okay. I was like, I was excited for it. I was like, it's coming soon, but no, it is. So next October. So can you talk a little bit just about what that book sort of contains and then hopefully share uh, a piece from it? Yeah. Um, so the book of poetry, El Rey of Gold Teeth, it went through so many title changes and finally landed on that one. Uh, but this one, I would say the book of wanderers plays with like conventions of the short story. El Rey of Gold Teeth plays with conventions of language more so. It gets more into like, obviously like the, the way that a line and a sentence operator are totally different. And so it's just kind of following more like ideas of poetry and like structures and how those can be played with. For example, in uh, this collection, there's a poem that is in the form of a map of a pulga. And I'm like, I don't know if you could do that anywhere else. Like, I don't know if you can do that in a short story or in a a novel, Uh, maybe in a a page of a novel or something like that. But but then you you would have to explain like, oh, why is there poetry? That's the map. In this one, it's playing way more with the freedom of like poetry uh, and language. Mm. But it still has like some personal, I guess I also say it's a little bit more personal. Mm. Whereas like the fiction, I could have the mask of like, that ain't me. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> and this right. one, and this one, it's like no, it's the speaker. You know, it's definitely me. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, good. But I think it, it can kind of play with certain things in different ways. And so, yeah, I'm gonna read. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, Lupe. That we, the first time we met was like uh, on Dunvale and uh, Richmond or Westheimer, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And there, I don't know if you remember that bar, but across from the bar was a movie theater. Oh, AMC, the MC30, the yeah. old AMC30. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's gone now. It's oh, gone I remember now. that. Yeah. Okay. It's all coming back to me now. It's all coming <laughs> back to me Personally, now. You know, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And um, the, the, so the theater's gone now, but I'll read this as a monument to it, it and to our first meeting. So here we go. Being high in a movie theater on Westheimer is my America. Tracking shots of broken teeth, kaleidoscope my phantom skin. When I remember to look up, they're talking about a bomb in someone's country to be dealt with uh, as a metaphor for how perfect an empire's engine percolates. Wait, all the characters are played by one white actor, switching wigs and inflating lips mid-scene using CGI. The sidekick is someone's Theo in a canary body, crooning, you're right, compadre. Hold up, that's different. That's an insurance commercial from 2002. This guy's different, doing the same voice. Playing a villain who wants revenge. His origin story is, America took everything from me. Cut to the ripe bomb resting in the womb of a red school. He's taking this too far, the white actor responds, while staring at my empty hands. This is too obvious. I mean, there's even a scene where the white actor says they don't see brown, black, white, blue, purple, blurple. I already can't remember how the movie ends. It's okay. I'll daydream it later. Because right now, I have to not fall down some stairs. I leave my seat, 
pebbles of stars blink me to an exit, like I'm leaving an orientation to enter an afterlife, now to pick the correct door. By the time the lobby lens flares me, I realize the movie hadn't ended. Oh fuck, I'm too embarrassed to complete what I paid for. My eyes panoramic and focus on a family not mine, but very much mine in a sitcom about me. The child pulls their mother to a poster for a movie about a laughing dog played by that white actor. The mom reminds him, y si Dios quiere, which translates to, I will give it everything I have, but there's a plan we aren't a part of yet. The child then leads her to a coli robot, convulsing with edible doubloons. Please let my psychopomp be so generous as to guide me to my eternity by the hand in a humming stroll, like this child navigating the legal sugars of a concession stand, and not along the path of throat-singing rocks lit by electric veins echoing from a screaming vortex. I'm about to be tossed into for savoring sins I was notified of, well in advance, in writing. I ask someone for water who informs me of an apparatus over there that miracles it by pushing a lever with a paper cup. I hate being this vulnerable in public, that someone will see me for myself and ask, are you okay? The accurate answer is, it's complicated. Since there comes a time in a man's life when he reaches 30, something he didn't think possible at 20, over drinking beer as bitter as gunpowder he was supposed to be buried in. Duh, I'm that man. The real question is, if this is a nation of tradition, how are you not its catchphrase? To which I'll slur, I drink and love and surrender at my own expense. Which is about half true. When I finally finish the movie, it will have won several awards. Hmm. Oh. Nice. Snaps. Snap. Yeah. Thank you for that. I just, I love all the... The Houston references and things in all the work. Brilliant. Thank you, Reyes. Well, uh, we have been chatting with Reyes Ramirez. And you're listening to Inkwell. And when we come back. We're back for our lightning round of questions. These are the questions that really matter. This is where when people skip the episode, they get to the questions part. I do do that. You do do that? Good to know. Uh, And the the ongoing debate of whether you get 30 seconds, 45 seconds, one minute, two minutes, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 20 minutes, 20 seconds, seconds. (laughs) 20 seconds, two minutes, 20 seconds. These are variety. These questions are a little bit all over the place. These questions, this is the hard hitting questions. These are the important things. This is that matter. Like, not that the rest of the interview was dainty and Craft, light. Raft. These are the questions that matter. I agree. I agree. <laughs> All right. So here we go. And some of them may be controversial. Just uh, FYI. Sock it to me. Let's do this. Um, favorite publicity in Houston? Uh, I'm going to go with, so I have two. Uh, there's one. One. No, one. you can do two. You can do two. One. Do two. No, no, fair enough. In the, in the spirit of the game, I will say, uh, I'm going to go with, Antojito Salvadoreños. Uh, it's on navigation or something like that. I keep forgetting, but um, yeah, they have really good ones like Revueltas, Loroco. I really want pupusas now. We never have pupusas because Lupe had an ex girlfriend who was Salvadorian, and then like the first five years of our relationship, he refused to take me anywhere. With pupusas. And now you have the entire <laughs> Salvi community hating me for a past relationship. Thanks, honey. We, we what? All good. Okay. Favorite Mexican restaurant and or food? Favorite Mexican restaurant and or food? I'm going to go for a restaurant. Uh, I'm going to go with Chapultepec. Okay. Because it's like you can go anytime you want, literally. It's like open Correct. 24-7. And, and they're always smiling. They're oh, always smiling. But they don't do separate checks. Did they change that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, I put checks. This is always extra to be like, ah. Um, <laughs> and and my, my favorite food, I'm going to, man, see, this is tough. Uh, I'm going to say two options, but then I'm going to pick one because I'm just trying to, trying to show you the math. It's between mole and pozole. Mm. I'm going to go with five seconds. Pozole. Sweet. That works. Three things you would be sure to have with you during a zombie apocalypse. Uh, I'm going to say a knife, a crowbar, and a backpack. Okay. For all the other things. Uh, next question. If you could pursue any other passion besides writing, what other art form would you have done? Or anything. It doesn't have to be art form. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I was almost in politics. I like interned for like a state senator and like uh, worked on like some campaigns. Um, but I didn't like it because I was like, <laughs> I, like it. I was like, oh, I have to I have to bullshit for this guy. Yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, they said a suit. I could <laughs> I could do that. I was almost in the military. Uh, what? Yeah. So I can't see that, though. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, I, but in terms of want curator, I, I would I would like to live a reality where curator where Andreas is a universe where Andreas is a curator. Yeah, like a, like for a museum or like any kind of anything. Exactly. I don't know. But I think there's a <laughs> right now I'm like an independent one, but uh, so I, yes, I'm doing it, but I'm like not. Let's just say like I'm still learning. Got yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Uh, Ray Bradbury or H.G. Wells? Oh, Ray Bradbury. Uh, DC or Marvel? Marvel. Favorite luchador or luchadora? Oh, favorite luchador or luchadora. So luchador, I'm going to say contemporary. I wasn't going to have to go with, uh, he, he used to go by El Hijo del Fantasmo. Ooh. And then uh, he became my favorite iteration called King Cuerno where he played like this hunter from the highlands of Me- Guerrero, Mexico. Wow. And he had always come to the ring with like a, like a, a stag's head and like a cloak and he would always come in looking badass <laughs> and like uh he drove like a ford bronco it was badass <laughs> <laughs> um i like that uh and then now i think he goes with like San- santos escobar or something like that oh okay okay favorite who's in hangout that no longer exists oh damn uh i'm gonna have to go with favorite who's hangout that doesn't exist there's just so many oh man now you're right. making me sad uh, <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go with yeah, the AMC 30. Cool. Cool. Favorite Houston, like, hangout now that does exist, like, that's still around? There's so many in that regard. Maybe, see, now I'm happy again. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with, oh, man, uh, I love the East End because there's just so much kind of cool stuff. But usually any coffee place. So there's tons that I like to go to just depending on where I'm at. But in the Heights, I like uh, Slowpokes. In the East End, I like Bohemios. I'm trying to think. In Montrose, uh, it's between Agora or Campesino. See, I love Agora. I feel like people don't really go there anymore. But I'm like, oh, I don't go there anymore. But I, I've always loved Agora. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Writer that you still fanboy over. There's so many. Uh, I'm going to go with. It's always like the challenge of when I do see them, I'm like, I gotta act like I don't know you. Like, I, <laughs> you gotta act all cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, not, yeah. Oh, hey, how are you? Who are you? No. What? <laughs> You're here? Wow. Oh, uh, I'm gonna have to go with, uh, yeah, Eduardo Sicorral. I, mm. I grew up, uh, in terms of like in college, I was reading his stuff and I was just like, 
where was where has this been? Yeah, you know? and uh, yeah, every time I see him in person, I'm like, it's you. And yeah. yeah, I was lucky enough to work with him for a little bit, and dream come true. Also, you were recently engaged. It feels recent. Time is a lie. I don't know. Maybe it was a long time ago, but it feels <laughs> fairly new. Um, if you could get married anywhere in the world, what would your ideal wedding spot be? Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to have to ch- say... Not Houston. I mean, maybe. Because maybe by the sea. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's nice. That works. I like that. How would you describe your sense of style or fashion in like one or two words? One word. Uh, <laughs> one word. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, apathetic. Oh, <laughs> interesting. I you have like a very this. unique sense of style. Like, I like the way you dress. I'm always like intrigued by by your choice. No, no. I, I mean, and say like I want to dress like I don't care. Like, oh. like I give the like. Hey. But it's always so put together. Thank you. Like a, yeah. So, Reyes, where can people find more of your work, learn more about you, what you got going on next? Yeah. So um, you can find me at reyesvramirez.com. That's my website uh, where you can see some of the projects or the things that I've done. Uh, right now, yeah, just working on uh, too many projects. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to narrow it down. Um, or not. Maybe maybe yeah. that's just my style now for the next couple of years. Uh where I work on different things at the same time. Um, so I'm working on a book of essays, my next poetry collection, and messing around with the novel. In terms of other projects, I'm working. I recently launched my uh, virtual exhibition called "The Houston Artist Speaks Through Grids," that oh looks. I just <laughs> forgot. I have to do part of the stuff for that. Uh, ah! It's all good. The great thing about it is that, like, the way I planned it out is like it's set for the next couple years. So I'm like. There's no, and I think that was kind of part of the practice. I'm like, artists tend to like, and writers as well, don't like to be rushed. And so I'm just like, oh, you know, just turn in when you can. And I uh, try to kind of build build that into the practice. So. You'll be blessed. For uh, that's good stuff. Uh, but I think that's kind of like the, like, I think in learning more creatorial practice, I'm like, oh, is that like a Western thing of like, it must be done at this point or right, it's not. Right. It's yeah. Not right, right. Yeah. And it's like, it's art, man. Relax. Like, uh, <laughs> correct. And I think, um, yeah. So that, that virtual exhibition is up. It's at T H A S T G.com. And yeah, just trying to work on this wedding thing, trying to, uh, do the best I can for the love of my life. Robin, Aww. shout out to you, girl. Shout out to, shout out to Robin. Yeah. Uh, um, kind of do right by my community and all that stuff. Where, what social media spaces are you right now in and where can folks follow you? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to just say mainly, uh, Instagram at Nisabes and I S A B E S. Well, thank you. You've been listening to Inkwell with poet, short story writer, fiction writer, essay writer, book reviewer, organizer, uh, fabulous fashionista Reyes Ramirez. Thank you, you. Thank you. Dream come true. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> it's a collaboration between Imprint and Tintero Projects. I am one of your co-hosts, Lupa Mendez. And I'm Jasmine Mendez. Thank you for listening to Ink Well, a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint, based in Houston, Texas. Ink Well is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Krupa Parikh and Rich Levy of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Three Wire Creative. Inkwell is made possible by Houston Endowment, the Jerry C. Deering Family Foundation, the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance, the Texas Commission on the Arts, and Imprint's other generous supporters. 
For more information on Inkwell, visit imprinthouston.org. To offer feedback on this and future episodes, email info at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops in person and online. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.